We're in Acts chapter 19, and we only have a few weeks left of this. I mean, Easter's coming up next week, and Easter, we're taking a pause for two weeks. And then we have the month of May and a few weeks in June, and we're done with the book of Acts, going through the church in motion. Um, Last week, we looked at the church in motion, and we called the, the message Reborn to Disciple. And what a beautiful service overall it was. If you were with us last week, I hope your heart was full and encouraged. Not only did God speak during the worship time, yeah. Not only did he speak during the worship time, I mean, he really spoke, I mean, just in my heart in terms of discipleship and how our DNA has been predetermined, genetically predetermined because we're new creations in Christ to make disciples. And then we watched it happen with water baptism. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I had emails from people. I had texts from people. I saw people through the week and they'd be like, you know, I just, I just, I just, I mean, I had calls from people and they were like, that just really spoke to me. And you know what was so beautiful about it is that it wasn't about us. I mean, yeah, someone told me this past week, they said, that was a Pentecostal service. And I was like, yeah, it was, because the power of God was here. And we worshiped freely, and we looked at his word to seek truth, and we saw transformation happening right in front of us. Isn't that beautiful? Like, all of those pieces were so important. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about this morning, about that this morning. Um, in Acts chapter 19, uh, we are going to talk today specifically about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, what it is, what it isn't, and why are we looking at this in Acts chapter 19. Um, Before we do that, let me ask you a question. Um, Have you ever been somewhere, experienced something, maybe made a special meal, and it was good, but something was missing? Like there was a hint of something that was missing or you went somewhere and my wife and I went out to dinner a couple weeks ago and I really liked the meal that I had and I said, ah, it's just missing this one thing. My preference, but it was missing this one thing. Um, When it misses that one thing, you can tell. Um, One of my children in their younger days when they were learning how to bake and cook and do all the things that they like to do. And, and, and both of my girls love to do that, which is beautiful. And, uh, you know, it's good for the waistline. Um, but they, when they were younger, they would experiment and do all kinds of things. And I remember coming home one day and there was this beautiful loaf of banana bread sitting, uh, on the counter. And I, I like banana bread. I like zucchini bread. I like banana bread, put a little bit of butter on it. You know, I'm talking, look, you guys are like, mm, this is good, right? It's delicious cut up a slice of it, and I put a little butter on it, and I ate it, and I was like, mmm, ugh. <laughs> and, then, and then the nameless child that did this came and said, I forgot to put, put sugar in it. <laughs> Just like that, I knew something was missing. I mean, it looked good on the outside, right? It sliced the way it was supposed to slice. It had the same coloring. It felt the way it was supposed to feel, and when I tasted it, clearly something was missing. That's what Christianity can be like sometimes for people. We can go to church. We can hear the gospel. We can know that Jesus is the Savior. We can hear that message. We can trust in Christ, and he can become our Lord and our Savior as we pray that prayer and we say we're going to give our lives over to Christ. My question to you after that moment is, are you empowered to live the life that Jesus died for? Am I empowered to live the life that Jesus 
died for. Today, we are going to look at Christianity through a different lens that doesn't just talk about who God is and what it means to walk as a follower of Christ. It looks specifically at the gap, the missing link that needs to be there for us to be exactly who God has called us to be and to walk in the purposes he's intended his church to walk in. So before we go to Acts chapter 19, we're actually going to back up and we're going to look at a lot of the same passage we saw last week because the two of them go together. I don't know if you know this, but when these scriptures were originally written, they weren't written in chapters. Chapters didn't come until much later. So these two thoughts actually directly go together and we need to know what happened first so that we can understand what happens next. So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 23 through 28, and then we're going to go to 19 and read verses 1 through 7. So in Acts chapter 18, 23, um, Luke records, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Remember that. He came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew or knew only the baptism of who? John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you see what was happening there? Apollos, a schooled, learned man, goes to Ephesus and he He passionately teaches them not just about the scriptures, but it says he accurately taught about Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. Something was missing in in, um, Apollos' teaching. It wasn't complete. Something was missing. Priscilla and Aquila explain it to him more adequately, and then he goes into the towns again, and it says he vigorously debates and proves from scriptures now that Jesus was the Messiah. Everything gets put together. What was missing was completed. But that happened in Ephesus. Let's look at Acts chapter 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, okay, he was in Corinth doing what he was doing now, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. See how the two come together? Apollos is teaching an incomplete gospel. 
accurately speaking about Jesus, accurately speaking about that he was the one to come after John. John the Baptist was about teaching people to, to, to model a life of repentance about sins and their need for forgiveness and that there would be a Messiah who would come and would save the world from their sin. That's what John's baptism was. When people got baptized before Jesus came, they would get baptized unto that declaration. They would say, John's baptism says that I recognize and identify that I am a sinner and that I need a Savior. I need to understand that there is a Messiah that is coming. And then Jesus became that man. But Apollos only knew the baptism of John. When Paul shows up on on site... He sees 12 people. All the scriptures say is that they're disciples. All it says is that they're disciples. And he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul immediately goes to something because he knew and recognized something was different. He could see that something was different. The scriptures say it specifically. No, you can infer in there. He wouldn't ask the question if he didn't ask specifically. You're believers. What are you a believer in? Who are you a believer in and what was your experience? Because all of it is what the gospel is about. It's not just about putting your faith in Christ and trusting him as Lord and Savior. The theme that I have today that I want to talk about, if I could kind of condense all this into one statement, is just is this. Faith in the work of Jesus Christ saves us. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers us to live transformed lives. It's not one without the other, friends. Faith in the work of Jesus Christ saves us. We cannot be saved. There is no other name, Scripture says, under heaven by which we can be saved. It is Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. It is not by works. It is not by the evidences of what you do. It's not by how good you are and the things that you do for other people and how you serve and what you do. It has everything to do with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, paying for our sins, that we place faith in that work, and then that is how we are saved. Okay, That is true. But it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live transformed lives. Did you know that you actually can be saved and not be empowered by the Spirit of God? Do you know that? I'm not asking you to answer that. You may be like, what are you talking about? I have the Spirit that lives in me. We're going to get there, okay? I'm going to talk about that. But just because you make a decision to follow Christ and you're saved doesn't mean that you are filled with the Holy Spirit to be empowered Yes, he indwells you, and we'll talk about that, but it doesn't mean that you've been empowered to live a transformed life. Now, this passage is very controversial, okay? Depending on your background and your experiences, you may read this multiple different ways. I grew up in a um, non-denominational, non-charismatic church that spoke against spiritual gifts, that didn't believe that it was relevant for today, okay? And then I I went to college and I was introduced to very charismatic churches, uh, graduated from college, and then I found the Assemblies of God. So I'm like the greatest mutt spiritually that you can imagine, you know? So like I read this and I go, well, when I was this age, this is how I interpreted it. And when I was this age, this is how I interpreted it. And then I was this age, this is how I interpreted it. So my brain thinks about it like three different ways, okay? And I'm not here today to tell you what the right way is. You see, there are people that make it their business to tell you this is exactly what you need to believe. And specifically what I'm talking about is whether or not these people were saved. The interpretation people say is, well, were the 12 disciples of John or were the 12 12 actually disciples of Jesus? Were they saved? Were they not saved? Because the implication of that answer determines what the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually means. 
It's different depending on what conclusion you draw or what, what determination you draw. Because if they were unsaved, the baptism looks different. If they were saved, the baptism looks different. And I'm not even going to go into the details of all that today. I don't think it's relevant. What I think is relevant is to not define the different views or say what's correct. The point I have for today is that Luke is making something very clear that all of us need to understand today in 2022. That something was missing in the 12 disciples Paul met in Ephesus. And it was evident. And can I tell you, that something can be evident in our lives today too. Is it evident in our lives? Are we walking in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Keep in mind, this story, this narrative took place 25 years after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 25 years later, this conversation is happening. And there's something missing in their belief, in their experience. I already said in Apollo's life, something was missing. And Priscilla and Aquila, they explained the way more adequately. Paul noticed it with these 12 that something was missing and asked them if they received the Holy Spirit. You see, the theme throughout Acts, though, is that the church accomplishes the mission and the purpose of God through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Acts is not about the church getting saved. Acts is about being equipped with power to be the witnesses of Christ to the world. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's not about just being regenerated and declaring Jesus is Lord. You see, we just have to go back to Acts 1.8. It was the first message we spoke about when we talked about the church in motion. The church in motion is a church on mission. And what was the mission? Acts 1.8. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What God was telling them, what Jesus told his disciples in this moment was something that was the impossible task that they never would have thought possible. They were all local Jews, mostly uneducated people, and he was saying to them, you are going to receive power when the presence of God indwells you, and you are going to change the world. Not just the Jews that you know, but the half-Jews. And the rest of the world that are the Gentiles that you don't want to associate with, you're going to change them too. Unbelievable mission that seems impossible. It could not have happened by simply saying, God, you're my Lord and my Savior. I'm going, to write a, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to check a box. I'm going to put it in an offering plate, and I'm going to go to re, do, do the rest of my life. There was an empowerment. In fact, Jesus actually said early on in the book of Acts, he said, don't even leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with what? Power from on high. He even told them, power is what you need to have to be my effective witnesses. That word power is dunamis. Okay, I've said this before, but the root word is dunamis. And it's an English word. I'm sorry, it's the word that we derive the word dynamite from. Okay, like things that are explosive power. And the sense basically is what he's saying here is that the kind of power we're talking about manifests influence over reality in a supernatural manner. Supernatural manner. Now, that doesn't mean it's always about miracles, okay? It doesn't always mean about healing people, miracles. I'm talking about the things that cannot be changed by physical means. It can only be changed by supernatural spiritual means because there are problems in this world that are physical, right? You know, I have messy trees in my front yard. I just trim them with a saw. That's a physical problem. Then there are spiritual problems, ugly hearts, addictions, Lack of compassion, no love, unforgiveness. These are things that physical things cannot fix. 
only spiritual things can. We can manifest influence over reality in a supernatural manner. And that's exactly what we see throughout the book of Acts. We see manifestations that influence the people, that influence communities, that influence nations in a supernatural manner. We see that throughout the book. Here are a few examples just to summarize what you see across the book of Acts. And you might know where some of them come from, others you may not. We see in the book of Acts when they were empowered with the Holy Spirit, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, that cowards became courageous. We see that in multiple places. People that were fearful became people of huge faith. We see ordinary men experiencing extraordinary miracles after they were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. We see believers that had visions and dreams that confirmed the work of God, right? I mean, we've read through these things and we've saw these things happen. None of these things happen before Pentecost. All of these things began happening in the lives of believers after Pentecost. We see everyone had what they needed because believers shared everything they had with other believers. Isn't that a beautiful example of miraculous? That's beautiful. We saw enemies of Jesus Christ become his greatest allies because of the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Spirit, we saw divided cultures and divided nations become unified under one family where Jews would associate with Greeks and Greeks would associate with with Jews. And, And the dividing lines of culture, hierarchy, and economic status disappeared because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw decisions that were no longer made by chance, where people would roll the dice or they could, you know, choose lots or straws, but the decisions were being discerned through prayer and through the Holy Spirit. And another example we saw was confidence. We see peace and we see joy filling the hearts of believers regardless of their circumstances. Those are just a few examples of what happens when they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You with me so far? This is important because we have to understand that these are some of the things that we see. Now, we're not going to read the scriptures through the rest of Acts 19, but let me tell you just some of the things that happened later on in Acts chapter 19 that also happened as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, it says that Paul spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. If you fast forward to verse 11 in Acts 19, we see extraordinary miracles through Paul. Scripture says that handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were brought to sick people, illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Can you imagine that? That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Handkerchiefs and aprons that touched Paul were brought to sick people, and they were cured, and evil spirits left them. In verses 13 through 16, I mentioned it earlier after the worship time, the seven sons of Sceva. These were people that were evoking the name of Jesus, but they did not have any effect because they would rebuke spirits in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They had no relationship with Christ. They didn't know who he was, but they would evoke the name of Jesus in the spirit realm. And that's when the demonic response was, well, Jesus we know, Paul we know. We don't know who you are. And it says that the spirits gave them such a beating, all seven of them, that they ran out of their house naked. You know, this is, I'm not making it up. It's there. That's true. Like, that's actually there. The authority came from Christ through the lives of those who placed their faith in Christ. And in verses 18 through 20, we see that many who believed openly confessed what they had done. Listen, they brought scrolls and sorcery together, all the scrolls and sorcery materials together, and they burned them publicly in the towns. 
it says in verses 18 through 20. And the scriptures even give a value on it and said that it was worth about 50,000 drachma. And a drachma was a silver coin which equated to about one day's pay for each worker. So 50,000 days work, which would equate to about 200 people burning a year's worth of wages. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, transformation that did that, you want that kind of transformation? Next week, I want all of you to calculate one year's wage, and I want you to bring it in here, and we're going to burn it in the parking lot. <laughs> don't give me a check either. Like, I'm talking, we need cash. Because the checks don't mean anything, right, if you can't cash them, right? We wouldn't do that. we go, are you crazy? That's how significant the transformation was that came through the power of the Holy Spirit. You hear what I'm saying? Like, it's not man doing things with man's understanding. It's God doing things through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit was the question that Paul asked. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Not just because he was questioning their salvation. He wanted to know they were empowered to do the work of the Christian life. He wanted to know if they were empowered because you can say that you're saved and you can live a defeated life your entire life. And can I tell you, there are people in this world that do that every day of their life. That they made a decision to follow Christ, but their life doesn't look much different. They try to follow Jesus. They're stuck in the same stuff and they've not been empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit. What's missing? What's missing? How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, depending on what church I'm in and denomination, I tell you to do it different ways. I'm just kidding. This is what I think honestly. I mean, this is probably one of the most, and I'm being honest with you, it's probably one of the most frustrating things for me to talk about in our fellowship because people have different opinions on how this looks and what it looks like, meaning some people ascribe formulas to what it looks like and other people ascribe a different approach. And I can tell you across the different denominations and churches I've been a part of, there are some underlying things that if we get rid of some of the formulas and some of the specific evidences that everyone focuses on. You have to do this. You have to experience this. You have to look like this. And we just get rid of it. And we go, let's just talk about following God and being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask Jesus to fill us through his spirit so that we can walk with, with, with a movement and we don't have to hang our, our, our um, what's the word? We can hang our little shingle up saying like, I had this experience and you didn't have this experience, but you didn't. And you. Let's not do that. That's divisive. I think if our hearts are in the right place and we're looking for the Holy Spirit and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's a couple things that we can remember in the process and God will fill us. Number one, how can we live in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We need to remember. We need to remember. What do we need to remember? We need to remember three things. The first thing we need to remember is that the Holy Spirit lives in you the moment you trust in Jesus as your Savior. You want to be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit? Remember the Holy Spirit lives in you the moment you trust in Jesus as your Savior. Some of you might look at that and go, well, well, yeah, this is important, and I'll tell you why. Because remember interpretation of this passage? Some people believe, unless they have specific manifestations from the Holy Spirit, that he doesn't live in them. Some people legitimately believe that today, that I'm a follower of Christ, I trust that Jesus is my Savior. I, I, don't, I, don't, I want the Holy Spirit, but do I have the Holy Spirit? No, no. When you are saved and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture is abundantly clear that the Holy Spirit lives in you. The presence of God lives in you. Not some of the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit lives in you. He doesn't give you his toe. 
He doesn't give you his thumb, right? Am I right? He doesn't give you a little piece. He gives you him. He dwells in you. We need to know that. He deposits him in us. He lives in us. Romans 8.16 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That is the honest truth. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, church, this is what happens. The Spirit of God, first and foremost, deposits in you and becomes... He's the one that regenerates you. He's the one that gives you new life. He's the one that begins to change the way that you think when the things from one way in the old life don't look as appealing and you want to move in a different direction. And he confirms in your heart that you belong to God. Step one. I love this scripture. He joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. How many times have you ever had this type of experience? I know I have. Where circumstances can be something that I'm not thrilled with or I'm upset and maybe something happens that God has allowed and I'm unsure, I'm confused and and I just like, you know what? I I don't want to talk to you anymore right now for a while. Like I actually have said that many times over my life. I want to talk to you right now. Like going through the last two years, going through the last two years of COVID, going through the loss of family members, going through the loss, you know, and the struggles we've had from families and, you know, discipling children and adult children and and other people that have struggled throughout the church. Like it has been overwhelming for all of us in many ways, hasn't it? And there are times that you just go, Lord, I don't have the strength to, I don't want to talk to you right now. I just, you know what? I just want to watch TV and listen to a comedian say something funny. They just do sometimes. And he just knocks on the door of my heart. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to talk to you. And then, and then in the stillness of like things that are going on in my heart where I'm saying, like, I'm tired, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated. Like, like, I don't even know how to explain it except when things get quiet in my heart, he still speaks. And he said, I'm still here. I'm like, I know you're here. I just don't want to talk to you right now. That's the spirit of God in me reminding me that I'm God's kid. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, that is so important. How do you know you're saved? Because you can do everything in your heart to say, I'm angry, I'm upset. And when you you finally settle down and you, you objectively look at yourself in silence and in stillness, you can hear his voice speaking to your spirit. Your spirit is being spoken to by his, and he's reminding you, it's hard, but I'm with you. It's difficult, but I've never left you. This is important. He lives in us the moment we trust in Jesus as our Savior. That's what Romans 8.16 says. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul says it differently. Do you not know? He's talking about holiness. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. He's talking to believers. He's talking to followers of Christ. And he's saying, your bodies are his temple. He lives in this mess. He's laughing at that. He lives in our mess, right? Our house is our body. He moves into our house. And what he's saying is, if the presence of God is going to take refuge and residence in your house, don't pollute your house. Because he wants you to become everyone, everything that he's called you to be. Another example, and I'm just sharing you with that, that with you this morning, because when I talk about being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, I am not talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. You're a follower of Christ. His presence lives in you. You have all of him. The question is, does he have all of you? And that's the second one we need to remember. We need to remember his power in you is dependent on your choice to live a surrendered life. 
How can we live in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Remember, his power in you and in me is dependent on your choice to live a surrendered life. This does not mean that we strip the Holy Spirit of his power. It means we strip the Holy Spirit of permission to use his power in our lives. There's a difference. See that? We're not taking his power away. We're just not allowing him to work in us and through us. That is a big difference. How do I know this? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Look what Paul says with regarding the Holy Spirit. He says to believers, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't despise what God has revealed. Instead, test everything. Hold on to what is what? Good. And he's saying specifically, there is a flame that's been deposited in every believer's heart, and he is the Holy Spirit. And that flame can stay a tiny little flame or it can become a raging inferno. Yesterday I did some tree work in my yard and I tried to burn some of it in my backyard and the paper that I used, um, I guess, was fire retardant because I went through like 50 matches and I couldn't get it to turn on. So you know the solution to that, right? Dump gas on it, right? I mean, every guy's like, yeah. (laughs) I tried and I tried and I was like, why is this working? I'm like, dumb paper? I need real paper. I need to order stuff from Amazon to get that paper so I can return it. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I need that paper. And I had this little tiny flame in the middle of it. It was this tiny little flame. And I went ahead and I dumped gas on it. I did. And you know what happened? Yeah, you know what happened. This ginormous flame came up. And I thought about this verse. God uses the practical to illustrate the spiritual all the time. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. What Jesus wants to do in us through his Holy Spirit is he wants to become a raging inferno in our lives which means every nook, every cranny, every room, every finger, every eye, every ear, every foot, every part of our thoughts be consumed, if you will, baptized in his spirit. You with me? This is so important. And when we put out the spirit's fire, we can say, oh, Holy Spirit, we want you. I'm going to operate in sin. Oh, Holy Spirit, I want you. I'm going to fill my mouth with garbage. Oh, Holy Spirit, I want you. I'm not going to spend time and pray and seek you and let you transform me. Why don't I have the power of the spirit in me? Because you're not surrendered to his will. Because I'm not surrendered to his will. Do you remember what they were doing in the upper room when they waited for 10 days for the Holy Spirit to come? What were they doing? Praying. That's not a formula. Acts is a narrative. It's not a formula that says you have to wait for 10 days for the Spirit to move. No, it's a mindset. It's a thought process in our minds to say, if we're hungry enough to see God's spirit move in us, then we will surrender our lives to watch him move through us. We have to surrender our lives. Every day we have to choose to eat things that are godly, to eat things that are holy, to cast things out that are not, to fill ourselves with things that are healthy and get rid of the things that are junk. One of the things I have noticed, and I've thought about this, I'm like, I, I gotta do something about this. You know, I, I do social media, there's more and more junk coming up on social media through these little video clips. Like, I noticed, like, these little video clips, some of them are hysterical, like watching, like, dogs do stupid things, and I, like, crack up. My son was showing me something the other day, and I just was cracking up. But I've noticed more and more that there is this bent towards inappropriateness, sexuality, girls showing body parts they shouldn't be shown, and I'm like, this is inappropriate for God's people, and I need to get rid of it. And I, Okay, you can scroll past that stuff because it's inappropriate, but how many things have we allowed into our eyes and our ears that we've really just come to a place to just dismiss? And we say, it's okay. 
I mean, I don't really, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I just move on. But what's the big deal? Can I tell you? It's a big deal. It puts out the Spirit's fire. It puts out the Spirit's fire. We can't feast on filth and expect the Holy Spirit to overwhelm us with an inferno. We can't. We can't. And I don't know what it looks like for you. It might be different things. It may not even be something that's, you know, visually inappropriate. It may be greed. It may be, you know, you're, you're married or your identity is rooted in the wrong thing and God's trying to let you let something go or challenge you to let something go. I don't even want to begin to tell you what it is for you. I don't know. I'm not you. But what I know is do not put out the Spirit's fire is one specific way of Paul telling us we can either feed the fire or we can put him out. And if we put him out, though he may still be there because we are saved, we will not be effective and victorious in this life. Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Have you ever viewed this from the perspective? He's a person. Holy Spirit is a person, not a, not a, 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 um, uh, a, a picture of like a ghost. or He's not like some like, like image or some you know, ethereal idea. He's a person. Don't grieve him. Could you imagine doing something if you're married or to one of your children that you know will hurt their heart and they're going to watch you participate in that while you're grieving their heart? The same thing applies to the spirit in our lives. He, he's grieved when we do things that we don't want, that he doesn't want us to do, when we don't spend the time with him that he wants us to spend with him. The opportunities he has to speak in us and through us are forfeited when we don't surrender our lives to him. That is, like I think, the most important thing of all of these things. When you know the Spirit of God lives in you, when you choose each day to surrender your life to him, you basically give him access to all of the messy places of your life. And you say, I'm going to let you use me. I'm going to let you walk through. I'm going to let you, and this is what you do. And he says, good. And then he rolls up his sleeves and he says, watch what I can do. And he starts doing things and you're like, whoa, how did that happen? Whoa, where did that come from? Because you're letting the Spirit fill you and you're allowing him to baptize you afresh in the Holy Spirit. The third thing, don't just remember that he lives in you from the moment you trust Jesus as Savior or that his power is dependent on your choice to live a surrendered life. Number three is remember to continue being filled. Remember to continue being filled. Paul says this in Ephesians 18. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with what? Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs for the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? Be filled is not an event. It is a mindset. It is a practice. It is actually be being filled is what he's really saying. Every day, come to the fountain that never runs dry. Every day, drink from the water that helps you never thirst again. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what he's talking about. Every day. Because I don't have them visually on the bottom of my feet, but the bottom of my feet have drains, spiritually speaking. And the Spirit will drain, and the Spirit will drain if I don't keep filling it. Last Sunday was like one of those, like, water Gatorade moments where, like, the Spirit just, like, everyone's like, this is the best Sunday ever. And I'm like, yeah. And you know what? People have those experiences when they go to conferences or students, they go to youth retreats or they go to youth advance, all these different things that they go to. Oh, this is wonderful. The Spirit's just pouring on and it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Then they go home and they go, why doesn't it feel the same? Why doesn't it feel the same? Adults and students alike. Well, what environment are we creating? What are we allowing ourselves to fill us with? 
Are we being filled with the things that we've been poured into for the last number of days or weeks? Or are we filling ourselves with improper things? Do we allow ongoing things in our behavior or our sinful behavior to separate us from God? And do we repent of those things? Now, I'm sharing all that with you, and some of you may come from backgrounds and say, well, yeah, but you know, some of the things that you see in Scripture, Paul, are, are not really relevant for today. And I will disagree with you. How? Remember I told you my background? I remember sitting in a church shortly after we got married and listening to one of our pastors in the church talk about how these specific gifts are no longer relevant today. And, you know, like lovingly like holding my wife going like, okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. She came from a charismatic background. And we're like, and, and I'm being in, in college going like, I don't agree with him anymore. Like, I don't agree with that. That's not true that these gifts are not relevant. I didn't know exactly how to experience that, but then going through the rest of the last 25 years of our, of our life together, let me tell you some of the things personally that, is experienced, that I have experienced. I remember when we put these two churches together, how impossible it felt like for us to do this. We had $1,500 in the bank and we had no additional money. And the building needed a huge amount of repair. We couldn't even raise enough money to get the seats that you're sitting in here. And God opened up doors through our fellowship he opened up doors for things to happen. When we put the two churches together, I remember the other pastor that was here came to us a few weeks before we signed the contract, and he said there was an outstanding amount of money that needed to be paid for this to actually happen. And we had no money. We had $1,500 in the bank. And I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, ask questions, don't give answers. So I said, okay, and I gave him a list of questions. And one of the questions I had on there um, was, I need to know in detail you know, how much money we're talking about. And it, I thought in my mind it was a huge amount of money based on what the issue was he was talking about. So I sent all the stuff over, and then I went to bed a couple days later, and I had this dream. And in the middle of the dream, the pastor was super excited about this integration that was coming together. And I looked at him, and I said, you know what? We don't have the money to do that. I'm really sorry. We're not going to be able to do this because there's no way we can come up with the money that you're looking for. And he just looked at me, and he put his head down. And I went, oh, no. In the dream, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you never even asked him how much money it was. And I went, you're right, I didn't. So I asked him in the dream how much money it was, and he told me. And I said, that wasn't that bad. It was like $14,000 or something like $13,000, $14,000. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's, that's not that bad. We probably could have figured that out. The next day, I got up and I had a conversation. And I said, send me over the information. He sent me over the information. And what he requested in his letter was what I heard in the dream. True story. And I went, this is not that bad. The next day, our sectional leaders in our fellowship called me and said, we've been sitting on money from churches that have closed, and we know what you're doing in Lansdale, and we want to bless you guys, and we're going to send you a check for the exact amount of money that I needed in that dream. Think about this. Like, how do you make this stuff up? And I remember I talked to my sectional leader, Steve Dufresne, at that point, and I said, Steve, I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do with this money that you're about to give us. Like, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this with it. And, and I told him, and he went, that's Pentecostal living right there. That's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to see what God's doing and to be open to the things that God wants to do. So, yes, God still speaks through dreams. God through, still speaks through visions. He does it today because it's happened to me. A few years later, we were standing here, and we were having a church service, and we were talking, and I don't know what I was speaking about. It could have been about Barney the Dinosaur, for all I remember. And I was having a, a message, and I was like, half the time we go through this, I'm like, I don't know if what I'm saying is making any sense to anyone. A lady came up to me after the service in broken English, and she said to me, I heard everything that you said today, Pastor, and it was beautiful. And I went, wow, that's really great. I'm like, that's really cool. And then she said, I heard it in Spanish. I said, excuse me? I heard it in Spanish. And I went back to Acts chapter 2. 
when they were all declaring the praises of God in unknown tongues and all the people that were gathered in Jerusalem from unknown places and other places heard the word of God declared in their own language. Does it still happen today? You bet it does. You bet it does. Want something that's a little more maybe like on the level here? Every water baptism, almost every water baptism, we have people that walk and step into that tank. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm afraid. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. People do this all the time. And afterwards, what they say is beautiful. Even last week, I talked to one of them. They said, I had no idea what I was going to say. And I don't even remember what I said. And I'm like, it was beautiful. And you know why? It's because the Holy Spirit gives them words at the moment to say what needs to be said. You hear what I'm saying? Like, this is so, like, this is real life stuff. This is real life stuff. And here's where it gets really cool, is that it doesn't have to be supernatural in that regard. It can be the challenge and the ability every day of your life to stand strong and say, though the world around me is shaken, I have a firm foundation that I stand on. And the Spirit of God, who is my counselor, Jesus called him a counselor, right? The counselor will come to you. He comforts. He's the comforter. He sustains us so that we can go through so many difficult things in this life. It may not be that you had one of the experiences that I had, but it may be that you're walking through life going, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit for me? It means that anything that comes my way, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Not because you're a stronger person than someone else. It's simply because you have the Spirit of God working through you. Remember that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, remember, remember that you have all of the Spirit, similar to my simple little phone here, which is not simple in any way, shape, or form. When I bought this phone, I could text, check email, go on the internet, and make a phone call. And that's all I could do. And every once in a while, I learn these new things about what this phone can do. Just the other week, I was talking to someone about this phone. And I said, you know that you can do this with your phone? And they went, what? And I showed them and went, whoa. You know, they were shocked that that was actually something you could do. And all the while I've owned this phone, that functionality has been there. I just never knew how to use it. And I never knew how to tap into it. And that's what it's like when we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is an invitation to say, I surrender my hands and my feet. I want you to give me new gifts. I want the fruit of your spirit to be evidenced in my life. And I want to remember each and every day to be baptized afresh in your spirit. We're going to take a few moments this morning and we're going to remember not just what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're going to remember what it means this morning to celebrate and to acknowledge the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our worship team's going to come. And if you have your communion packets with you today, can I ask you, before we do this, because this can be one of those things in the church that maybe you've just had like this rote responsibility towards over the years, that you've said, I've done this before. Yeah, I know I get the bread and I get the cup and we, we take it. Scripture's very clear. Before we actually take the bread and we take the cup, the way that we properly remember Christ His death and his sacrifice is to first examine ourselves, Scripture says. Examine ourselves and ask ourselves, is there anything in the way I am and what I've been doing? Is there anything about me right now that the Holy Spirit wants to put on me, that wants to identify that I need to repent and I need to confess to God? And I say that that's an important step because we overlook that sometimes. We just close our eyes and wait for the the person in the front to tell them to eat the bread and drink the cup. But when we eat the bread, 
We're reminding ourselves that Jesus allowed his body to be broken. And when we drink the cup, we remind ourselves that Jesus allowed his blood to be shed. Why? For freedom, for restoration, for forgiveness, for unity with him and with each other. So scripture talks about don't drink the the cup or eat the bread without confessing, without asking God for forgiveness and walking in a new way. You drink and eat condemnation on yourself by acknowledging what he did and refusing to walk it out. Does that make sense? So can we take a few moments as the team plays and you can take your, your little bread out and your wafer and if you're with us here and watching online, you can grab a piece of bread or a drink. It doesn't matter if it's juice or water. It doesn't matter. But would you take a few moments while the team sings And examine yourself and say, what do we need to do this morning that's different? What do we need to do this morning to acknowledge that God has something for us? And maybe he's asking you to release something or to change something before you remember his sacrifice on the cross.